Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday evening chapel. If anybody's counting, this is week seven of the winter term. Seven down, four more to go. And then comes May, because that's about how quick it goes. Uh, speaker this evening is Dr. Steve Grimo. Uh, you know him as the director of the music ministries program here at the college. You also know or should know that before he served here, he was the uh, commander of the Air Force Band for the Academy and, um, and has uh, history with the Air Force 20 years? 22. 22 years and has served as minister of music other parts of the country. But his um, message tonight is not going to be about music. It will be about some other parts of his life that he'll invite you to uh, consider being a part of, I think, before the evening's over. Uh, stand. I want us to sing a, a version of the, uh, the Creed. Our being in this room is an indication of what we mean by those words. You called us, you found us, you beckoned us, gave us grace to respond. And we're here because of that. We're here because of the life that you give us. We're here because of the hope that you've instilled. We're here because of the call that you've placed our lives, on our lives, all that we have, all that we are, and all that we hope to be, we give to you. We do it again afresh right now. We're grateful that you don't expect perfect gifts, but you do expect complete ones. Some remarkable images. I've been involved in uh, prison ministry for the last seven years, and uh, for my those three years before I started here at NBC, I went on a weekly basis teaching Bible study with a group of men, and we uh, would go down to Canyon City and do three simultaneous Bible studies at two diff three different prisons, one in Spanish and two in English. When I got involved and in, uh, dealt with uh, Chuck Colson, and of course all that he did for the prison system is a result of his incarceration after Watergate, and he is the reason that the prisons have been transformed over the last 35 years because when he was in prison for that year, which was, for some of you would say, well, when was that? And others might say, well, when did Johnny Cash go into prison? <laughs> Same time. And when you see the Johnny Cash film or read the book and it talks about how pitiful and miserable those institutions were, that's when Chuck Colson was in prison, when Johnny Cash went to Folsom Prison. And it was so despicable you couldn't drink the water. And today it's, you can eat off the floor. And there are Bible studies and libraries and everything possible for these 
for these inmates to deal with. I, um, as I've been involved in Prayer Warriors for Prisoners, um, I started by getting involved when I came, first came to Colorado, and they have a ministry where they pray, they write to prisoners, they correspond, they send Christmas cards, and when I uh, talked with uh, the McLaughlins and dealt with going to presses, I don't want to just write letters, I want to go in. I want to sit with them, I want to talk with them, I want to minister to them. And she connected me with the team that goes inside the wire and is certified to be uh, volunteer Bible study teachers and prison chaplains. I do a prison church on Sunday evenings at Arrowhead State Prison. And it's interesting that I started by going with with Jan and Rick with uh, Prayer Warriors and doing music. And then I got there one day and had to do music and the uh, speaker didn't show up and okay, I'm ready. And thanks to Dr. Stephen Manley many years ago when I had my first uh, uh, bivocational music ministry in San Antonio, at San Antonio First Church, um, you know, Stephen said, just go preach. I says, but I'm, just go. And uh, some of you know how what, he's, what he's like, right? And so as I've been involved in cross-style ministries since 1991, you know, when I told him about what happened when I got here, he goes, you're preaching? Oh, good. Just stop doing the music and go preach. <laughs> So I've been preaching instead of doing music in the prisons for the last four years. So it's a very interesting change. You know, God is pretty amazing. And I said, you're talking to me? I mean, I can deal with the music. And then I train the prisoners. I have praise bands in these prisons. You know, the inmates come in and they work and I kind of help them do the music. And then the guests come in. So now I just kind of make sure they're doing the music and... My church on Sunday night has runs about, uh, at Arrowhead State Prison, it runs about anywhere from 65 to 80 inmates. And I go in, the guards open the door, bring me into the room, and they say, we'll see you in about three hours. And, you know, that's a medium facility. Uh, so it's remarkable to be in that situation and feel safer than I've been in any other church. It's pretty amazing. Because when you're there, their hearts are at the point where they are broken, ready to listen, ready to receive God. And you know when you're at your lowest point, God does remarkable things. So it's pretty outstanding. And as I've been in this ministry, I've come closer and closer to understand what Paul did and what he lived through. Um, the message that I have planned for this evening is um, one that I've... Uh, been doing as a series um, at Arrowhead and I say uh, to be or not to be and uh, and somebody says whoa what's that for Shakespeare I go. and then I had another inmate when I said what I'm going to talk about I said well I'm going to talk about Barnabas and they go what Who's he? They only talk about him how many? Two or three times. I go, well, 
Can you be a Barnabas to someone? And I use this message with an incredible enthusiasm because when you're teaching, you're a mentor. You give me a church that's falling down and floundering, and it's because they're not dealing with the whole principle of mentoring. A church who has the middle age group that listens to the senior adults and their experience and then mentors the younger ones below, you see a healthy church. But without that variety and diversity in age group, how can mentoring take place? How can any healthy aspect of growth in relationships, what are we talking about here? Relationships. What's the answer? Jesus. What chapter are you looking at? Jesus. What verse? Jesus. Okay? Same kind of thing. But you're dealing with what am I teaching? Am I listening to an elder? Guide me. And am I mentoring a younger? Do you have a Barnabas in your life? Someone to lift you up. Someone to give you permission to fail. Not to be the flattering one. Someone to get in your face and say, pick yourself up and move. God didn't tell you to sit in the corner and pray and wait. He told you to follow me. You take the step and I'll be with you. A pastor, um, when I was in San Antonio, who was a Nazarene pastor in... Uh, outside of San Antonio today was an army chaplain and it's interesting how people talk about um, I'm going to wait put out the fleece and then say well let's see if the window or the door opens you don't look for the open door think of it as the doors are all open move walk toward the door and if God doesn't want you there He'll shut it. Then go to the next door. But if you sit and wait, you're going to be sitting and waiting for a long time. You cannot move that way. And without a person like Barnabas, that's going to be there, and you never hear much about him, do you? Who is the regular encourager, the one in your life that will lift you up, allowed and will be allowed to just be the wind beneath your wings. The one to fill your sail when you don't deserve it. That's Barnabas. That's what Barnabas did to Paul. Barnabas was the one that encouraged Mark, this young whippersnapper that was way to go but yet had a falling out with Paul. Or Timothy. Those two young bucks were so anxious to do everything, Barnabas said, chill. Would you just take a pill and relax? All right? Because they're so anxious. And Paul was going, they're driving me crazy. And Barnabas is the one that goes, I'll take care of it. And yet being there to hurry and work with, with Paul to say, we'll take care of it. Of course, when you deal with this story, this is what happened in Acts 15. And it deals with the division that happened with Mark. And of course, what had happened when it was recorded with John Mark, um, 
And how Barnabas gave this young cousin the encouragement to say, don't get Paul mad. Just relax. Go do what you're going to do. I'll take care of it. That person in the middle that is listening to the elder and encouraging the younger. We all have moments of weakness. And, com- and we have to deal with compromise and resolve. We have satanic attacks on a daily basis. If you're called to preach, you're called to do what God has called you to deal with, you can count on being attacked. There are times where we desire to do the right thing, but somehow it just doesn't or didn't happen. And sometimes we just choose poorly. You should be a Barnabas to someone else and pray for a Barnabas in your life. When I deal with the prisoners, I deal with this issue of who's Barnabas? What is he going to be in your life? So think of the first point. Barnabas is your coach. He's your mentor. In Hebrews 13:2, the paraphrase is something like this. Some people have entertained angels without knowing it. When I'm in a prison, a third of them are in for murder. Some of them are in for 20 to 30 years. Some of them have been in since they were 18 years old. It's amazing how much they pray, stand by each other. They understand basic principles unequivocally because they live it. They know if they're going to get out and they're going to receive that blessing, they have to understand what the message of the gospel is. And it's really amazing what kind of things happen when we are in Bible study or in a service. Music happens. I can go into that prison and without hymnals, they'll just name it, sing all the verses. I can sit there and they can quote scripture better than I can. And I am, my memory is not good. So I don't trust a lot of things that go on in this head. Um, (laughs) Because of, it's just, you know, I'm not that kind of person. I'm a musician. I'm a creative person. I got to touch it, feel it, you know. So... It's a little different aspect than someone who has that photographic memory. And they can just right there and do it. These men have nothing but time on their hands. I've heard prisoners recite an entire book. Or when I say I'm going to John chapter 3, someone will recite the entire chapter. I mean, it's remarkable. Because they are totally committed to the Word. They understand what they can get out of that kind of teaching and what they can do with each other. They understand what it means to where two or more are gathered to pray for each other and be beside each other during those difficult times. I've already been in the prison long enough that I've seen them in different prisons. I've run into some of the same prisoners as they've been transferred or been out, got in trouble and came back in. So it's pretty remarkable what happens And then there are those that have been in 40, 50 years. 
and it just recently getting released. And what has happened and what kind of transformation has happened. I've seen families, relatives. These men have brought their families to Christ because they have come to Christ while they've been behind bars. In some of the images that you see um, on the slides, we can't take pictures when we're in. You know, we go in, we go through electric walls and fences and so on, and we're escorted in. Um, you know, I can go in a little easier because I have the infamous green card. And I can get in and out and do that, but I still have to go through several security checks. It's amazing. When you see the men that were kneeling on the floor, that's high security, life or death penalty, and we can only go to talk to those men or women in whatever security prison you're going to um, by their request, and you have to do the Bible study or the time with them that way. They are only allowed out of their cell one hour one day, one hour every day. They're in confinement. When they come out, they go to a room that's a tube with a skylight. And they can see the sun, feel the sun, and look into the sky. That's it. And yet, there are those that, are, that come to Christ on a regular basis, that come to know what the gospel message is all about. In my first point of being an encourager and a coach, that is extremely important. My second point is how can you be the good Samaritan, the kind of Barnabas that deals with the generosity and can be and continue to take that life coach aspect a step further. We're all called to be evangelists or pastors. That's what Stephen Manley did with me in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. It talks about what our gifts are and where we're called to be. But we're all called to preach the gospel. If you're a coach and that kind of good Samaritan, you're going to do things where you're going to stay positive. You're going to bring a smile to somebody. You're going to pat someone on the back and say, hey, you did a good job. The spontaneous coaching that goes on with Barnabas, he's positive, he's upbeat. You never hear of, there wasn't really issues that went on with Barnabas. He was only spoken to, spoken about a few times. And he's, he's the one who constantly is the person that reveals God, God's grace, what he provides. And he does it on a regular basis to the person he's supporting the person that's always behind the scenes and yet Paul depended on him Mark and Timothy were like okay yes sir I got it I got it I know what you're saying I'm, I'm just way too excited you know but I'll, I'll promise I won't get Paul upset anymore you know and then they went off and did their thing what is the goal of a coach and so I'm using the word coach just like you would as a mentor. You're all going to be in this situation where you're going to be on a ministerial staff. How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to manage your staff with biblical principles so that they're not 
fighting and getting in each other's face over stupid things like the color of the carpet and you know what I'm talking about how are you going to manage that where is the position going to be a coach equips, edifies, encourages he continually enriches God's servants to press on toward the goal you as the lead pastor and whoever is your associate or your eight other associates depending on what size church you're in have to be dealt with the same way your church board's going to be dealt with church board isn't just the ones who take care of the money what is the model of a church board it's Christ and the apostles what happened in Acts when we became when did you have the first church, church board meeting when they had to try to fulfill and replace Judas and they all met in the upper room who are we going to invite who are we going to ask to be part of our team that's the first church board meeting Okay. and when they founded the church and they're trying to decide how to work together and so you have to have your church board be that model for the church to work how many people are familiar with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir right the history of what Jim and Cymbala did Jim Cymbala and Carol the kind of what they dealt with many many years ago when they were in that despicable part of, the, of Brooklyn roof leaked 13 or 14 people in the church called to minister and found this church there are so many issues that happen in the history if you haven't read Fresh Wind Fresh Fire go buy it go find it the first book that Jim Cimbala wrote talking about the ministry with him and Carol and how they founded the Brooklyn Tabernacle you will not put the book down and I guarantee halfway through you'll be crying because they followed what God called them to do they followed the calling of I'm here to deal with building this church in a drug infested thug gang related territory today the Brooklyn Tabernacle has completely transformed that part of Brooklyn from 25 years ago there was a point where they built their ministry based on prayer and what their board and their prayer ministry was to be doing when, some, when Jim was preaching there was a group of men always in an upper room from the time they opened the doors till the time the church was empty and in one, at one point they were bringing people in off the street they were, the church was starting to grow and a man came in on drugs with a gun walking up the center aisle and Jim was preaching he saw it coming the congregation didn't started continuing with his message grabbed the microphone started walking down talked the gun out of his hand and him to the altar to Christ by the end of his message and at the end of that service when they finished the men came downstairs and they said man we were just beat up today I mean it just felt like we couldn't stop what were you preaching on Jim and then he told him the story that's that's God God is good and all the time 
that entire church was protected during that service because of those men in that upper room praying through those men were his board his church board members those were the apostles for his church that's what happens in that mentorship when you're dealing with how am I going to work with my group and touch and bring them to follow Christ as I as the leader would it's amazing how you can can move through these things and kind of get this synergy working you know in 1 Corinthians 9.24 we're all on a course to finish the race can we do it ourselves can you walk the walk can you live with the authenticity you know in Romans 12 4 8 it talks about the body as an object lesson your arms head. who leads where is your head going how is it being moved you have to create that kind of situation it comes down to besides the answer being Jesus it's all a relationship because of what he did That encouragement to always come back to that is what brings you and your congregation closer. I have never gone into the prison on any day and not walked away saying, more of a work was done in me than what I brought to them. Ever. When I was going every week when I was doing weekend services, when I'd go back and forth, and then when I had a break and I wasn't down there every week, it doesn't matter. I go in trying to deal with something, and I come out with their questions and their heart to grow, and I go, I'm trying to bring it to them, and it's more for me. When you preach the word, it's just God speaking to you, and he's working through you. Allow that to happen. And that's what a coach does. Sitting there being the one. Okay, I got it. I got it taken care of for you. It's kind of interesting. You deal with the ministry, and you deal with those 25 most important words. John 3:16. God so loved the world. But then what about 3:17? God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but so that the world might be saved through him. That whole issue of what, where does it go after that? Another point would be to deal with, do you have a family member? Is there a family member that's a Barnabas to you? And some people will say, well, you know, we don't quite get along. And, and, And then there's always that brother. I know how my brother is. You know, I can, we pick up the phone, we talk to each other, we've not been, you know, we all live in three different states, you know. I had a friend that I was, you know, was a brother in Christ early on in my career, and he's the one who really brought me to a new relationship with Christ in my first couple of years in the military. And uh, for my entire career, we, we talked, we always connected with each other. The phone was on speed dial. And we were not always stationed in the same country. So if that phone rang at 3 in the morning, I said, well, that's Hugh Patterson. And he knew the same thing on the other end. It didn't matter where we were. 
then we'd sit and talk and listen to each other and what's God doing in your life and how come everything's a mess today and whatever, you know. He was a brother in Christ for my entire time. You know, and uh, he had a heart attack uh, about two years before I retired from the military. So it was kind of sudden. And I just, I lost a brother that was closer to me than even anyone in my family. That was my Barnabas. He was always there. So having that kind of person that is just, that you trust, that you talk to, that turns around every now and then and says, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, you want the one that kind of, as we said in the military, blows smoke up your skirt. Okay? You don't want someone to keep telling you it's good. You want someone to hold you accountable. You want that kind of person. You need the one to be a Barnabas and hold someone else accountable. And do that. I always, some people say, well, gee, you know, you're getting a little tough on that person. I go, why was Christ turning the tables in the temple? You think he never got upset at what was going on? You think he ever turned around and looked at the apostles and go, yo, are you listening to me? Did you hear what I said? Sometimes you guys are just as dumb as a box of rocks. You know, you got the 12 misfits, and they had the master. And some of them still had the nerve to go and question him. You know how amazing that would be? To be sitting right there with him, which we can through the Spirit. I, we teach this when I'm in the prison, and we teach what, how that works. The other point that goes connected to this issue of the mentor, being that good Samaritan, and then being the servant prayer partner. Do you have a prayer partner that you can count on? I still have people that I can email and say, you know, just pray, I'll talk to you in a few days. Or I get one that's, and I, Hugh and I would get on the phone. How many times I was in San Antonio and he was in in a contingency hospital in Germany, or we have some, you know another time we were I'm in Japan and he's who knows sometimes we were in places we weren't supposed to talk about, uh, but we could get to each other, and those were those issues. Pray, I'll connect with you then. So be the servant and the prayer partner, partner that holds you accountable. That's a Barnabas. You know, pray so that you seek guidance. Pray to keep yourself on course. Pray to be aware and hold someone aware. Prepare for what's coming. Those things that you're not even aware of yet. Prayer asks the Father to walk with us and stand by our side. Prayer also helps us to hear God's voice in such a way that you make those connections. Talk, told you about the praying church and what the Brooklyn Tabernacle did. That church today has a prayer meeting once a week with anywhere from 24, 2,500 people in it. No service, just a prayer meeting. Because it started with a prayer meeting when they had only 
13, 18, 20 people. That church is an incredible mega church that does what God calls, that follows what the calling is. Dave Wilkinson, his church is in New York also. And we all know that um, story of the switchblade and him dealing with the gangs downtown. You go to his church and deal with what is he dealing with from an international basis? Taking those that are troubled and bringing them to Christ. Taking the lost and moving them closer to what God calls them to do. Another remarkable ministry. And all he did is go downtown in Manhattan and buy an old theater. A Broadway theater he bought and turned it into a church. Now it's an international ministry. And yet he was one who dealt with the streets, slept in an old car, worked with gangs. But through prayer, it was brought to deal with his prisoners. We're all prisoners in some way. How many times I'm with the prisoners and I'm talking about, they say things that are, gee, this is difficult to deal with, and yet they have a pretty controlled environment. Sometimes I say to myself, gee, wait till you walk out the gates, you're going to be surprised what's out there. The ones that have been in long enough don't even know what a cell phone is. Some of them never touched a computer. You know, it's pretty amazing if they've been in that long. Isn't that possible? If you desire to succeed, there must be a Barnabas in your life. Use that model to take your ministry forward and teach and lead in your church that way. I'm not an ordained minister. I'm not. I just love the Lord from the first time I was a bivocational music person. And served with my music because that's what I do. I started with my music when I was seven years old. I don't know how to really do anything else. <laughs> when I start, it's like I'm, I have no business with the education or degree or PhD and having a career where I was able to go around the globe twice and then some, traveling and entertaining troops in places where I can't tell you where they were. Or being on the inside of the barbed wire at the DMZ and talking and entertaining troops that cannot go anywhere without an M16 on their shoulder. And they're ordered to shoot if it moves. It's just amazing what God has provided. I'm so blessed to be able to say, gosh, you let me make music for a living. I mean, it's my soul. It's my... It's my heart and soul. It's my place where I can connect with him. Because I'm like, let me do this. Do what you love and pray that someone will pay you for it. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those fortunate people that from that young age was able to take music and do it. I got a brother who's a bank VP and an MBA and a you know, regional auditor and accountant. I got a sister who's a nurse practitioner and a specialist 
at uh, St. Joseph's Hospital, you know, in, in Providence. And, you know, we, we did different things. My father was a construction worker. He was a stonemason. My mother was an administrative assistant for an elementary school principal. My father always said, you know, those drums are going to, you're going to be able to eat with those things and kind of keep doing that. So I did that. And yet, you know, God's provided. Keeping someone accountable, being a servant, being a mentor, being a friend. That same Barnabas that talks with you and speaks about that friendship is also the one that brings humor during your darkest moments. He's also the one that's a co-pilot for you. Some of you can understand if you want to deal with the ministry or when you have to have that person next to you to move forward and someone who's got your back. In Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody with your heart to the Lord is just as important as just being there for someone and being that Barnabas. I ask you to consider those things and consider what issues can happen when you minister and take the time to manage and minister um, with a biblical fashion. As I was working on this message, I discovered this wonderful book that I want to share with you, which is many of these principles. It's by Leonard Sweet. And the book is called 11 Indispensable Relationships You Can't Be Without. And he talks about who's your Barnabas? Who is your Yoda? That's Paul. <laughs> you know, who's the old man who knows all the answers? A wonderful book. I highly recommend it. Because it goes through all those relationships that God put in different people's lives. Dear Lord, I'm so thankful that uh, we have an opportunity to serve you and that you are there with us. You touch us in a mighty way and you guide us. You are the mentor you're trying to teach us to be. We can listen and watch and learn from what's in the word, from how you dealt with being on this earth and how the Father placed you in this position so that we can have eternal life through you. We ask you to bless each and every one of these students here as they are called to serve you in a mighty way. We ask you to bless them and guide them so that they can be the Barnabas to their congregation. They can teach their leadership to be a Barnabas to someone. And they can teach an entire church how to be an elder, a mentor, and one of those young minds like Timothy and Mark were with all that vigor and, ang and anxious service ready to just explode but help them to teach to be to have a church that is alive and balanced because we know that the answer is Jesus and all that you've provided is to teach us 
how to have a loving relationship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.